Welcome to the Doc G Show, a radio show cluster. Without further ado, critics have said he has the face for radio and a voice for silent films. Your host, Ben Doc G Gordon. And we are on the air. Welcome to the Doc G Show. I'm your host, Doc G. With me is the man that decided to give up his life as a gun-toting, gold-panning, sun-poisoned son of a gun for a life <laughs> of not doing that stuff. Mike, the Furnish, Charette. We're doing it. We're here. Thank you for having me, sir. Woo. Mike, how we doing? How we doing? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. good. How are you, sir? Good. Yeah, I'm doing good. I I got motivated mm. this week. I got motivated. Oh, yeah? I got motivated by something that I commonly get motivated by, and uh, fans of the show know this. I'm a huge fan of Michael Jordan. So true. That's, yeah. That's goat number one. Greatest of all time. Hit me... Mm-hmm. Probably 1990 or so, you know, and uh, never stopped. Never stopped. Yeah. Now, I, I could I could give you a whole, like, day's worth of material of why he's the greatest of all time, but I'll give you two things that set it apart for me. Listeners, okay. LeBron, LeBron fans, take note. Here you go. It's his 87-88 season and his 95-96 season. The 87-88 season, he was an all-star. He was the MVP of the All-Star Game. He was the slam dunk champion. He was the scoring leader of the NBA. He was the steals leader of the NBA. He was the defensive player of the year. And he was MVP of the, the league. Jeez. All in one season. All of those things. One season. Insane. Yeah. Yeah, and then 95 is essentially like just as impressive or more impressive. 95, All-Star. All-Star of the MVP, or uh, MVP of the All-Star game. He was the scoring leader of the NBA. He was the uh, first-team All-Defensive team. He was the MVP. He was an NBA champion. He was Finals MVP. And his team that year won 72 games. Nice. Insane. Goat. Killed it. Goat. Now. The goat goat. Obviously, that's been established. Most listeners have already fast-forwarded or stopped listening on the radio. (laughs) So, the other thing that's pretty well established on this show is I am a big fan of Leonardo DiCaprio. Ooh, yeah, yeah, me too. I mean, yeah, I think we can agree. He's an amazing actor, first off. Amazing. I mean, Gangs of New York, Catch Me If You Can, The Departed, Blood Diamond, Django Unchained, the uh, Wolf of Wall Street, uh, the 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 Revenant, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He makes Titanic. Ta- Titanic. <laughs> that was before I got on the Leo boat wagon. Actually, <laughs> that was. I mean, I I was in that. I I mentioned it on the show at that time. I was a bit of a hater. What you know? Because okay. I because, because he was getting all the young ladies, and I was like, Psh, <laughs> Psh, whatever, Leo. You know. But now I've got on the bandwagon. So, uh, and we've mentioned this, uh, speaking of that, uh, we, we all know. We're a society, we shouldn't judge a person by their looks. But Leo has been known to date uh, almost exclusively the most attractive women you've ever seen. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's insane. I mentioned on this show, 
his uh, his dating ladies. He has dated ladies, models that range over three decades. Three mm-hmm. decades yeah. of models. It's insane. And it's not only women ladies out there. He asked Zac Efron to come over to his house and eat pancakes. And wow. Zac Efron was like, I will. Yeah. 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 So technically, you could say he dated Zac Efron for a day. That's a fact. That happened yeah. too. And by the way, Mike, how, how angry would straight <laughs> ladies be if Zac Efron and Zac uh, and Leonardo DiCaprio were both gay? Man, man, they would be angry. They'd be like, right? They'd be furious. Yeah, they'd be like, we're left with Ben Gordon, the guy that looks homeless <laughs> with no show. That's who we have, and those two guys are gay. Whatever. Anyways, <laughs> anyways, back to Leo. Uh, not only that, so uh, 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 hangs out with um, amazingly attractive people, uh, makes cinematic gold. Also, he spent millions of his own money on environmental causes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he met with the Pope on environmental causes. The I didn't Pope. Know that. Yeah. Wow. And the Pope took advice from him. The Pope was like, yeah, Leo's right. What else can I say? I got smart. Wow. Yeah, it's insane. Crazy. Now, I guess you're probably wondering why I was motivated by these two superb specimens of Michael Jordan <laughs> and Leonardo DiCaprio. Well, over the weekend, I was working out uh, with the last dance on in the background because <laughs> obviously that's the best motivation for a workout. Yeah, uh, great movie. And I was on the last the last episode, the 10th episode, where they're uh, going into the sixth game there against Utah. And uh, I was, I was, you know, listening in as I was cranking out some sweet reps. And, uh, <laughs> and in the huddle, before the game, Jordan says, all right, guys, get your hand in here. All for one and one for all. We're in this together. And then after the game, he tells somebody, no, no, no. I was watching Man in the Iron Mask before the game. You should have heard me. Before the game, I even said in the huddle, all for one and one for all. That movie inspired me. Wait, what? Yeah. Think about that, listeners. That's a Leonardo DiCaprio movie. It inspired the greatest of all time to win his final championship. To win the biggest game of his career... Leo inspired that. Yeah. Yeah. Now. That's crazy. Now, uh, I, I will point out that, that Leo wasn't necessarily like the good guy in that film, and he wasn't the guy that said one for all, uh, uh, one for all for one, one for all. <laughs> oh. But that's not important. He was still the biggest name in the movie. That's the important yeah. part. He was part of that. If I'm Leo, I'm telling everybody that. That's a fact. When, when I meet the Pope for climate stuff, I'm going to be like, oh, hey, by the way, you know Michael Jordan, greatest basketball player ever? Yeah, I inspired him to be that great. It's no big deal. Like, when I take Zach Efron out on a date, I'm like, oh, by the way, <laughs> Michael Jordan, use my movie, final championship. No big deal. <laughs> like, come on. That's so cool. Yes! I just, I mean... I can't believe nobody else has mentioned this in the info on the last dance. Like I was looking for this, this because normally when I think I've came out across something that I'm like, oh man, this is a hot take right here, and then I Google it, and there's like five thousand other people. I'm like, internet, 
ruining my next hot take because people have... Nobody's mentioned this before. And I think Leo needs to grab this bull by the horns, pun intended, you know? He needs to, needs to get it. You know, that's what I'm saying. Go out, go out on a date with Michael Jordan? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So, double bonus here for Leo. Leo can tell everybody he inspired Michael Jordan to win his last championship. And in turn, that inspired Doc G, a.k.a. Air Gordon, on his way to making his show becoming the best ever show in the history of vague category of shows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think, basically what I'm saying is, Leo is the inspiration of the world, Mike. Huh? That's what I'm saying. I think he is too. There we go. Totally agree. Good. I, I feel the inspiration. Now I that now that we're in agreement, you want to fire the show up? <laughs> Let's do it. Five. All three engines up and burning. Two, one, zero, and liftoff. Yes, yes, Mike. As I told you at the end of the week last week, we've got fantastic show. None other than Larkin Poe coming on. Rebecca and Megan Lavelle. <laughs> We'll be talking to them all about... Oh, I, I got so many good questions that I'm excited to ask them about. Uh, playing with Keith Urban, trading trading licks with that that Australian sex god what? on the stage, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, playing with their sister. They used to play with their, their other sister, because they're sisters, but it used to be uh. three sisters way back in the day, and they called themselves mm. the Lavelle sisters. That's a fact. And then the third sister, amazingly, was just like, you know what? Eh music not for me and she stopped and she just went to just doing life just like the the regular hmm. life deal and i want to ask him i want to be like hey she miss it she ever go like hey you guys need a third hmm. i'll hop on like does that ever happen because i feel like it would but apparently i, I don't i don't think it is nope. so we're i'm gonna ask him about that i can't wait they got a new album coming up it's gonna be good it's gonna be good but first we're gonna start where we start Birthday suit. Yes. Let's do it. Happy birthday, Mr. Okay. Uh, so this one, I think you got. Uh, there is a huge clue in uh, in cinema that should give it away. Uh, pretty sure it should. So, born August 11th, 1983 in Melbourne, Australia. He is the middle of three sons. Uh, when he was in his teens, he started trying his hand at acting. He was first casted in several Australian TV series like Neighbors and Martial Law and The Saddle Club. In 2011, he started uh, he starred in the thriller Shadow Runner. But that same year, he was cast for the role that he would be known for for the rest of his life. Thor. So true. Which he's played in several mm. movies. The Avengers... Thor, The Dark World Avengers, uh, Age of Ultron, Avengers Affinity War, Avengers Endgame, and coming in 2022, Thor, Love and Thunder. Also, in 2014, he was named Sexiest Man Alive, which obviously should have been given to Leonardo DiCaprio. Name that birthday suit where? (laughs) Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth. That is correct. Middle Hemsworth. Middle. I'm a little reluctant. I'm a little reluctant to say it. I don't know why. Yeah, because maybe because you thought it was one of the other brothers. Uh, yeah, I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't know why, but yeah, Chris Hemsworth. I don't remember. <laughs> I, I know the youngest one's Liam. I don't remember what the oldest one's name is. I have to check that out. Yeah, me neither. Can't, I can't can't remember his name. But yeah, Chris Hemsworth going to be turning the, uh, let's see, uh, 38. 38. Mm. Yeah. He looks great. That's he he uh, his, his wife is like seven years older than him. His wife. Really? Yeah, his wife is a, a Spanish model. Had no idea. Spanish model. They had three. They have three kids together. They moved back to Australia. They live like out in the middle of nowhere on like a giant farm in Australia. It's, it's wild. Mm, and he's nice. just walking around with his giant muscles. And I gotta say, his wife, <laughs> she's got some giant muscles too. I mean, she's not yeah. like she's not like huge, but she is ripped. She has got okay. muscles. Like there was just like a, a Instagram post of them. They were doing some kind of you know. Uh, a famous person hike in somewhere that regular people can't hike, <laughs> you know. And she she was flexing with him, and I was like, Jesus! Every every muscle in the arm there is on display. That's crazy. <laughs> Anyways, what I'm saying is they're attractive, and it's Chris's birthday. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Happy, happy birthday, Chris. happy birthday, Thor. Enjoy it. Although I, I will mention too. I noticed there was also uh, like I can't remember like People or Insider or some magazine like that. They had an article where he was getting uh, knocked because uh, he he posted a picture where he uh, he was flexing and he had a sleeveless shirt on, uh, but it looked like he had like toothpicks for for legs. Like he had, you know, <laughs> yeah, I saw that arms are ripped, and then he had these little little toothpick legs, and I was like, that is, that's, that's a severe difference, Chris. You, yeah, Thor needs some legs, man. He needs some post legs. Mm. You can't have, can't have those little baby toothpicks ah. going. Come on. Anyways, I'm not. Need some quads. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to hit you. I don't want to knock you on your birthday, Chris. Your your legs are fine. <laughs> They're good. Uh, okay. Mike, you ready to rip some headlines? Let's let's hear them. It's now time for Rip from the Headlines. We've got good ones today, man. We've got good ones. Uh, something that we love to report on the show is world records. So true. Mm. And we usually like to do the ridiculous. The ridiculous world records are great, except for David Rush's world records. We do not... He he, I don't know if you've heard of David Rush. He's this dude yeah, in who's that? he's this dude in Idaho that just uh, like basically researches the Guinness Book of World Records and just finds the ones that are most likely to break, and he tries to break as many as he can. And uh, yeah. like you know, like the last one he did was he balanced like a chair on his nose for an hour or something like that, and you're just like, huh? What? Come on! Like if he if he did one hmm. of those. I'd be fine with it, and we would celebrate it on the show. But now that he's doing like a hundred of them, I'm like settle down, Dave. Come on now, come on. But oh, so he's got a bunch of them. Oh, he's, he's got, got he's, a bunch he's of almost records? got like two hundred because he just keeps oh, wow. looking for these these records that are easy to break. And so he's trying to get like a record for the record. Exactly. He's got a record. And, wow. and like, but like the thing is, it's I've mentioned this on the show before. I'm like, dude, th these records are records because nobody cares about them. 
Like if I mm-hmm. if I put a bounty out on these records tomorrow of like ten thousand dollars each, they would all be broken. That's a fact. Your records would be meaningless. A record is cool because nobody else can do it, and they're like, oh man, that's awesome. But a bunch of people could yeah. do these things; they just don't care to do them. That's why I'm mm-hmm. like, come on, come on, Dave, get real. Anyway, this is a, I got sidetracked on Dave. So true. This is about <laughs> this is about Don Gorsuch. Gorsi. Uh, hold, hold on. Let me let me get his last name right. Gorsky? Gorsky. Don Gorsky? Or is it Dorsky? It's Gorsky. Hmm. Don Gorsky. This is about Sounds Don right. Gorsky. Sweet. So Don has a uh, record that is amazing and disgusting. It will probably never be topped. Don Gorsky has eaten over 32,000. 340 Big Macs over the past 49 years of his life. Wait, what? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He he has been the Guinness World Record holder for the most Big Macs since 2011 in a lifetime, uh, which he's only obviously added to his record by a lot since 2011. But... They re-upped his new record, and it, it they, their last count was thirty-two thousand three hundred forty. So wow, yeah, Don. How old's this guy? He is now 60, uh, 65, I think. Sixty-seven. 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 So Don wow. got his driver's license and a car in nineteen seventy-two. One of the first places he went, McDonald's. Where he ordered three Big Macs. When eating those first three back, uh, Big Macs, he told himself, I'm probably going to eat these the rest of my life. Word. <laughs> and he immediately started storing the receipts and the containers that they came in. Mm. From that point on. In the 1970s, this man was putting away nine Big Macs every day. Ew. Wow, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. But... Delicious. Yeah, he has he I, and he has fi- like I said he has filed these away. He has thirty two thousand three hundred forty receipts, or well, not that many receipts because he bought multiple ones at a time. But he's got all the receipts for all of those thirty two thousand three hundred forty Big Macs. Jeez, every single one. Wow. Yeah. Now, if you're trying to imagine what a dude that would meticulously eat thousands of Big Macs <laughs> since the nineteen seventies looks like, hmm. If you're guessing obese, you guessed wrong. That's right. Now, if you're guessing weird and obese, you're 50% correct. This <laughs> this dude is weird. <laughs> I think Don, I think Don himself would agree with that. He's got a rockin' pony, Sweet. first of all. He's got a rockin' ponytail with bangs. Yes. Yeah. And mm. bad sideburns. Just <laughs> rocking the sideburns. Now, this is this is uh, two things. One, this dude now buys about 10 Big Macs at one time. Wow. So he'll go in like on a Monday and get 10 Big Macs, eat two of them, and then take the other eight and refrigerate them at his house. And he heats mm. them up in the microwave throughout the week. I mean, yeah. how gross... 
is that? I mean, but it's it's McDonald's though. It's like you just reheat the food. Oh god, they're basically reheating it at the restaurant. Yeah, but at least they're reheating. <laughs> it like involves a good amount of grease, so you're like, oh, add a grease. Like, oh, it just becomes like weird rubbery cardboard at your house. Oh, that's a fact. He said he tried a Whopper once in 1984. Said he'll never do it again. Nope. Disgusting. <laughs> His friend bet him $5 that he wouldn't eat it. And he said, I'll do it, you SOB. And he had it. And he was pretty gross. <laughs> that's another out Big by Mac. It. Well, that's what he said. He used the $5 to get another Big Mac. <laughs> um, but my favorite part by far of this whole interview is them talking to Don's wife. That's right. He has a wife. And wow. Yeah. Yeah, and she is radiating regret for the fact that she married a burger. <laughs> like, she is just like, oh, no. She said, quote, Don did not tell me about his Big Mac obsession when we first met. I'm not sure it was quite an obsession then. I mean, I know he ate Big Macs every day. Sometimes I'd even bring him a Big Mac, but I just didn't realize it would go on forever. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's her quote to the Guinness Book of World Records. Oh my gosh. And if you're imagining what a wife would look like <laughs> that's married <laughs> to a guy that's eaten Big Mac since the 1970s. Can I take a guess? Can I take a guess? Yeah. Can I take a guess? Okay. She's really hot, mm -hmm. really fit. Yes. Extremely smart. Lots of degrees. Nailed it. All of those are correct. <laughs> yes. Just motivated beyond imagination. Just looking basically like, like I mentioned, Chris Hemsworth's wife. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Basically yeah. the same lady. Twins. Twinsies. <laughs> Uh, anyways, Don, good luck on eating Big Macs for the rest of your life. Uh, no doubt with, uh, I mean, you know... I mean, since he's already been eating them for 49 years, this guy obviously has some kind of freakish genetics. He's probably going to live till like mm -hmm. 140, so... Oh, yeah. He's staying consistent. Yeah. Good good luck with that, uh, Don. Maybe someday I'll come up to Wisconsin and have one with you. Uh, mm. Okay. I'm going to have one today. Oh, nice. I'm Mike, definitely going to. Uh, <laughs> it just sounds so delicious. I'm going to actually let it yeah. get cold and then heat it up in the refrigerator. <laughs> You can't say Big Mac that many times in a row and not expect it's somebody true. not to want one. It's true. It, I mean, it's like supersize me. Everybody else is like, oh, my God, I was so grossed out. I was like, nobody else was hungry when they watched that movie? Yeah. Nobody else was like, that's oh, pretty <laughs> awesome. Uh, it's a long McDonald's commercial. Mm. <laughs> Well, Mike, we're uh, we're in the dog days of summer, as I like to say. You know, so true. We're in we're in that time of summer that it's always hot. Never, you never yeah. really get a true cool down. Like never really happens, which is the best time for pool action. You know, hmm. best time to hit the pool, and that's exactly what a lady in Athens, Louisiana, thought. She thought that, so she uh, she decided to hit up her local pool go for a swim uh but apparently some of the neighbors near the pool weren't cool with this lady doing that uh mainly because the pool uh was the town 70 foot tall 350,000 gallon water tank wait what wow yeah this lady hmm. scaled the fence climbed up the ladder <laughs> to the 70 foot tall water tank started swimming around in it yep 
gross. Yeah. Gross, pretty gross, gross. Pretty gross. She just cannonballed right into the water supply of the town. Hmm. Now, uh, if any listeners out there saying like, I feel like it should be harder to get into the town water supply. Well, it's not. Nope. Uh, apparently, <laughs> the police said she was able to get in because a contractor who was hired to repaint the tank failed to, quote, secure the latch. Word. That's it. Latch. Which... Just the latch. I mean, you know, a couple things on that. First, shouldn't the latch stay secure the whole time somebody is painting the tower? Hmm. Like... (laughs) Call me old-fashioned, but I'm not a huge fan of having appreciable amounts of paint in my water. Like, that's Mm -hmm. not looking for that. Second, there's just a latch? Like, shouldn't there be, like, locks? And maybe, like, an alarm? Like, this isn't a liquor cabinet. It's the water supply to the whole town. That's a fact. Like, shouldn't somebody be a little bit more? And if it wasn't for one old dude in this town who lived beside the water tower who was like, hey, is that a crazy lady climbing up the water tower? Did she just Mm -hmm. jump in there? I think she's swimming around. I should probably call the police. He called the police. But if it wasn't for that dude, who knows? I don't I don't know if this lady would have made it out of there or who knows mm. what she would have done in the water. Plus they had to drain the whole thing after she did this. Had to drain the whole really? thing, sanitize the water, which I don't know what goes into that process, but they sanitize like I was like, "Man, I feel like a fine's coming her way." I feel like a fine's coming. Oh, 100%. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, uh Mike moving on to our state, <laughs> our home state here of Florida. You're aware Florida's Uh-oh. a pretty weird place, you know? There we go. Now, also being a Florida man, you know that most Floridians consider Key West to be an even weirder place. Um, yes. It's sort of the king of weird, listeners. It's mm-hmm. very very bizarre. And that's not even during Fantasy Fest. Nope. Fantasy Fest takes it up to a whole nother level of bizarre. Just on a regular Tuesday night walking around Key West, you're like, wow, where am I at? Well, this story adds a little evidence to that pile. So, James Williams was down in Key West, two friends. They were partying at Ocean's Edge Resort. It's about 2.30 when one of his friends passed out. So James put the friend in a maintenance wheelbarrow of the uh, hotel and started taking her up to the room, and he thought, you know what? Would be pretty hilarious. Started pouring beer on her and made fun of her because she passed out. Hmm. That'd be pretty hilarious. So he started doing that. And the other friend decided that that took it over the line. He said, hey, 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 stop it. You're being disrespectful. Well, James didn't like that uh, accusation, and uh, he tried to fight the other guy. Mm. And uh, James, during the fight, took it up to Mike Tyson levels because he bit off this guy's ear. He bit off this dude's ear before they separated by people in the hotel. Just just took an ear off. Took an ear off. Now, uh, 
I I was thinking about this story and I was, you know, I was getting it in my head, getting in the Key West situation. And like <laughs> I don't think there's a better definition of belligerent than this story. Like pouring beer on your passed out friend and then attacking another man and biting the ear off of that person because they told you to stop being disrespectful. Like hmm. That should be the definition of belligerent. Like, that is... That's it. Right there. Yeah. Key West. Yeah, pretty much. So, folks, if you're planning on going to Key, Key West, watch out for that guy. It's all of God. <laughs> I, I would say, and I'm going to get a lot of hate for this, but I would say that Key West and Daytona Beach are sort of interchangeable in the types of stories that come out of those cities. <sighs> so, uh, I mean... I'm going to throw it out there. I'm going to get hate. I, okay. I feel like you're more likely to get the same stories out of Panama and Daytona than you are uh, Key West. Because okay. Key West, see that. you got an older clientele. You got a more like, I, I'd like to say like liberal, like hippie clientele. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you're right. So you get, yeah. I mean, you get things a lot. There are a ton of things that drive by on the road in Key West that you're just like, what? Like, you just don't, <laughs> like, you're just, like, there's a dude, uh, I don't know if the, the the gentleman is homeless or not, but he has a, a, a bike that he's just decked out in the most ridiculous, insane stuff with a giant wagon that he carries behind it. And it's got, like, mm. tunes and Christmas lights and statues and paper mache <laughs> things on it and... And, and, like, the best part is, in Key West, nobody even, like, looks at it. Like, that's, you know, it's sort of like in New York when everybody looks up and you're like, oh, no, not a local. Here, like, <laughs> the person looking at the crazy guy with his bike and wagon, people are like, oh, totally a tourist right there. Like, that's, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird spot, for sure. Anywho, uh, let's go from Key West to North Carolina. So, North Carolina, this is a true North Carolina story here. So, Mike, have you ever been to Lenore, North Carolina? I don't believe so. Okay, Lenore is between Asheville and Winston-Salem. It's, it's very uh, mountain folk. Mm. Mm. And uh, Erica Law's family owns a small house there. It's uh, where her dad used to live. And uh, she kept all of his army medals there. He was, uh, he was in Vietnam. He earned uh, two Purple Hearts, two Bronze Stars, dozen mm. other medals. And a couple of weeks ago, Charles Carr allegedly broke into the house, stole the medals, along with TVs and a four-wheeler. They're, uh, they're still searching for Carr. They have a warrant out for his arrest. But they got a little bit closer this past week, uh, when they got one of the Purple Hearts back. Apparently, he he traded the Purple Heart at a local gas station for a Code Red Mountain Dew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the person who got the medal alerted police after seeing the story on television. Was like, wait a second. Wow. Wait a second. I, I think I got one of those Purple Hearts. So, I just, I love this story, not obviously for the uh, thievery, but I love the story, 
because like Charles decided his best way to get a code red Mountain Dew would be to trade a purple heart medal that he stole from a house in the same area as the gas station that he wanted the code red from. And, and the person at the gas station went along with the trade until they <laughs> saw the news story on the TV and were like, wait a second. Hold wait on. Like, that purple heart. Yeah. I, think I have one of those. <laughs> I, like, I can tell you right now, listeners, if somebody wants to give you a purple heart medal for a Code Red Mountain Dew, they didn't legally obtain the purple heart medal. Nope. I can tell you that much. <laughs> and if a person wants a Code Red Mountain Dew, they probably did something illegal. That's a fact. Let's just go ahead. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> let's just state facts here, folks. Anyways, okay, I got a couple more stories, but I'm gonna I'm gonna have a code red with a Big Mac today. That's oh, gonna be my meal. God, code that's red with magic. Magic, Mike. That is you uh, let me tell you, you are gonna get things accomplished after you have that meal. Yeah, I'm feeling it. I'm gonna watch the Iron Mask. Uh, <laughs> there it watch, is. Uh, yes. The, the Big Mac. Leo inspiration. Dan Gorski and Leo combined, you will not be stopped. You will not be stopped in your day. But we will be right back. We are going to take a break. We are going to hear from our guests. This is Larkin Poe with Self Made Man right here on the Doc G Show. And we are back here on the Doc G Show. You just heard Larkin Poe, self-made man, right here on the Doc G Show. They're coming up here in just a little bit. Um, Mike, we we decided over that break that we are uh, we're going to have Don. Don Gorski is coming on the show. Um, yeah. That is, if he'll come on the show. Hmm. We're willing to have him on the show. I just don't know if we're big time enough. He's sort of like Doris Burke. I don't know if we can get Don Gorski on the show. It's a pretty big ask, you know? I think but, he'll do it. I think he'll do it. Okay. Okay. Mike has faith. Big Macs, yeah. And you're in. That's true. That good idea. <laughs> well, I'll just gift card. <laughs> I'll give him a gift card for like $100 to, to McDonald's, and he's like, whoosh. I don't have to eat for like three days now. Awesome. Uh, okay, Mike, sometimes when we come back... Uh, well, first, let me tell you, listeners, uh, real quick. Obviously, if you haven't downloaded the, the podcast, do it. Bunch of places out there. I don't have to go over the places. Please do it. Some folks from Biloxi definitely did it this week because Biloxi, Mississippi, was coming in with the listens. That's right. Mike, tons of listens. Nice. I think they took my advice in Biloxi and they downloaded every single podcast app and downloaded our show on every single one. So <laughs> shout out to you, Biloxi. Either that or a couple of their casinos picked us up and were like, you know what? Let's play this. I don't know how yeah. this is going to motivate people to, to gamble, but it, I hope it does. <laughs> Anyways, thanks, Biloxi. Special shout out, Biloxi. Uh... Mike, sometimes when we come back from the commercial here, I have a segment where 
I need to talk about something doesn't really fit anything else in our in our show. So okay. I stick it here. It's called the miscellaneous file. So true. It's like the drawer in your house that none of the items belong with each other. It's the one with the menus and like the thumbtacks and everything else. That Taco you're just, Bell mild sauce. Yeah, that you're just like, how did this win? I haven't been there for three years. All right. Well, let's be honest. We were there last week. Anyways, uh, on the show, I'm a big commercial critic. That's a fact. It's a, it's a lost art, Mike, in this day and age of streaming. But, you know, I still watch commercials. I watch them with a keen eye. You know, and I, I, I like to think of them on the marketing level. Like, is this bringing in people? Is this, is this doing mm-hmm. it? So I was watching TV the other night, and a Bayer commercial came on. And uh, it's a lady uh, just did like an interview. She's on, she's like on a stool, and they're talking to her. She's, you know, it's like it just it starts in like mid thought, and she's like, "We just had so many things we're gonna do." And he was working, and I, I'm not working anymore, and uh, I, I need him. I, I need him around. I just, I, I can't, I can't live without him really emotional stuff you know mm. and uh then it pans to a black screen and it says it's not just your heart protect it with bayer aspirin yeah. <laughs> and i mean I, I get the point of the commercial right but like trying to make a dude feel bad because he had a heart attack like Blam. she's just sitting there after he dies like well, he's supposed to help me move in a new fridge, and he was going to take me on vacation, but he went off like a self and just had a heart attack. <laughs> God, like, it's a bit much. But I, I, I thought of another thing about this commercial. I was like, what if a life insurance company starts buying up all the time after those Bayer commercials, right? They buy up every single spot after those commercials, and they get the same actress, and then just film her happily rubbing money on her face, like wads (laughs) of cash, and then go to the same black screen and say, don't worry, she'd still rather have money than you. That's a fact. And then just have your ad. That's it. That's it, right? Because I think, let's agree, she would. Let's let's be honest. She doesn't care about your heart that much. Come on. Nope. Anyways, that 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 was the commercial that annoyed me. There you go. That was it. That'd be a that would be a five D chess move if uh, a life insurance commercial actually did that. Mm-hmm. That would be pro move right there. I, th- I think geniuses. so. I mean, I, hey, life insurance companies out there, feel free to take it. Feel free to take it. <laughs> Big Lou. I hear Big Lou life insurance a lot on on the radio here. I hear Big Lou Mm. life insurance commercials. So Big Lou, if you're looking for uh, a commercial idea, there you go. It might be a little bit out of your price range. I think Bayer has more on their marketing uh, than Mm -hmm. than you guys do. But still, give it a shot. Give it a shot, man. It'll, It'll snowball. Anyways, real quick. Shout out to the regulars. Here we go. Here come some regulars. Shout out. Jacksonville, Florida. Columbia, South Carolina, Gainesville, Florida, Radford, Virginia, Dublin, Ireland, Barcelona, Spain, Katy, Texas, Ashburn, Virginia, Peoria, Illinois, San Diego, California, Anoka, Minnesota, Boardman, Oregon, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Columbus, Ohio, Winfield, West Virginia, Richardson, Texas, and Citrus Heights, California. Back on the regulars. Yes. Shout out. There we go. 
There we go. Good list. Good list. I'm glad Good to list. see Citrus Heights is back on. They they were regulars for a while. I think they got tired of hearing my voice and they came back. So hopefully they can tolerate it for a little bit. Nope. Plus, plus your voice is peppering in now. So there <laughs> they go. They haven't. They haven't. They haven't had that sweet sound hit their ears. So welcome back, Citrus Heights. Enjoy Mike's voice. Do it. Thank there. you. Please yeah. enjoy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Semi-regulars. Here we go. Semi-regulars. Biloxi, Mississippi, Herndon, Virginia, Hollywood, California, Blackwood, New Jersey, San Francisco, California, Oxford, Mississippi, Lakewood, California, Canton, Massachusetts, Lisburn, United Kingdom, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, uh, Pal- Palermo, Italy, Covina, California, Madrid, Spain, Sao Paulo, Brazil, Nolensville, Tennessee, Honcho, Japan, Stockton, California, Winnipeg, Canada, Bucharest, Romania, Plains, Montana, and Selje, Slovenia. Shout out. There we go. There we go. Yeah, good group. Good group. Good list. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Okay, Mike, a couple stories that I didn't get to here. Uh, this, This next story. Just made me laugh thinking about the reactment in my head. Uh, and I should say, before I go through the story, nobody was seriously injured. Nope. So, before you think I'm evil for laughing at this reenactment in my head, <laughs> nobody was injured. Uh, Mike, there are a good amount of creepers and frightening folks out there. Am I right? I mean, oh, yeah. Bunch of weirdos of out there. Yeah. Yeah. A lady in Santa Cruz, she might have been too prepared for those creepers. So, this lady was sitting in her car at the Santa Cruz Walton Lighthouse when somebody uh, came up to her car. Now, I've done this exact same thing that this somebody did. Have you ever done this? You're not really paying attention, and you're like, maybe you're looking down at your phone or you're thinking about something, and you almost get into somebody else's car. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Back when Definitely I was happened. when I was driving my Honda Civic back in the day, I guess because they there's just so many of them and they all look exactly the same, I walked up to a Honda, same color as mine, opened the door, sat down in the car, tried to get the key in the ignition before I realized, wait a second. Nothing in this car is mine. <laughs> Whoops. Like, apparently they had left their car unlocked, and I just... I oh, man, I'm glad they didn't see me and think I was, like, trying to steal their car. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I just closed the door and act like nothing happened and went back to my car. And I was like, okay. Whoopsie. Whoopsie-daisy. Um, <laughs> anyways, that happened to this person at the lighthouse. This lady is sitting there. A uh, person came up, tried to open their passenger car door because they were going to put in their goods that they had purchased into the, the passenger seat seat there. But this lady freaked out. She was like, oh, no, they're trying to attack me. She turned on the car, slammed on the gas, and literally drove the car off a cliff because this wow. lighthouse was on a cliff. So she just... Bonnie Bonnie and Clyde, right? Not Bonnie and Clyde. (laughs) uh, Selma and Louise, right off the cliff. Just, whoo, right off the side there. Yeah. (laughs) Can you imagine the person that tried to open that car door? It was like, no, 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 oh, holy Did they just... Jeez. They just go off... 
are they are they alive what i didn't i'm <laughs> just trying to put my stuff in the car like what happened like in no point <laughs> like what a overreaction is that like i get the feeling that this type of lady this type of lady that like when a relative jumps out of the closet to like scare her She's the one that like runs out of the house screaming like a hundred yards down the block, like knocking down mailboxes as she goes. And her sister's like, what? She, like, she lights her own house on fire. No, no, just don't put the gas on it. Go like just, I mean, she took fight or flight to a seriously high level and she forgot that her car cannot fly. Nope. So it was wow. bad. Anyways, the other story I wanted to talk about, I titled Bees in Your House. Hmm. Uh, there are lots of difficulties to buying a house and especially when you're buying an old house. You don't know what you're going to get and Sarah Weaver and her husband, they are familiar with those houses because they just bought... A house that was built in 1872. It's mm. about 30 miles northwest of, of Philadelphia. 1872. So they bought a 150-year-old house. Literally, it's coming up on its 150th anniversary. Uh, the main reason that Sarah wanted to buy this house was that it was in the school district they wanted to be in. So... The, uh, the house hadn't been lived in for several years, and the folks selling the home said, oh, by the way, there are bees living in the walls of the house. Hmm. And Sarah said when she saw this in the disclosure, she didn't think anything about it because she didn't see any of them. Word. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. She didn't see any of them. Sarah, they said they were in the walls. They didn't say there's a giant beehive stuck in the corner of the kitchen. Like, oh, oh knock that thing down. That's going to be annoying. Like, come on. And then they didn't do a home inspection before they bought the house. What? They bought an wow. 1872 house. And they were like, eh, think an inspector should look in here? Nah, it'll be fine. <laughs> It's only 150 years old. Like it's a competitive market. Yeah, well, that's what they said. They were so excited because of the the school district. Apparently, uh, anyways, at the start of the summer, they started to notice signs of, you guessed it, bees. They got mm -hmm. somebody to come check out the house, and they found 450,000 bees in the wall of their house. Wow. Literally, a lot. yeah, the whole wall. This is a two-story house. The whole wall on one side of the house was just honeycomb. They took the siding off, and it was just honeycomb. Mmm. Yeah. Delicious. Oh, it looked pretty good and <laughs> gross at the same time. And I, I still, and I brought the, there. We had a story like this uh, way back on the show, like four years ago. And I gotta say. I still wonder how they get the estimates. Like, hmm. there's no way you're getting a head count on 450,000. Like, all right, everybody stand in order. Stop moving around. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Like, I, I feel more like it's just two dudes standing there, and they're like, how many do you think it is? 100? 
Nah, it's got to be way more than that. <laughs> million? Nah, it's got to be less than that. 450,000? Yeah, it's good. Like, it just seems like a bit much. But yeah, they got a beekeeper slash contractor who's apparently a, a real pro at this. He successfully relocated all the bees. Sweet. So, That's good. Yeah, so don't worry, East Pennsylvania. Your crops will be pollinated in the near future. Mm. At least for the Whoa. near future, you will have crops. So thank, <laughs> thank that beekeeper contractor. Uh, last thing I did want to say about that. Have you ever, have you ever looked into bee dancing, Mike? Hmm. Have you ever? Uh, they dance for the queen, right? They do a little. I mean, they got dance. a couple things. They got a couple yeah. dances. The main dance, the, the thing they do the most is for uh, food sources, right? So, hmm. you know, if they got a good, like, you know, honey hole of uh, flowers that they want to let people know about, uh, they go back, and by people, I mean other bees, they go back. <laughs> to the hive and they do what they call the waggle dance the waggle dance. i had an animal behavior class in undergrad and i gotta tell you it's wild these wow. guys these guys go at it like one bee finds an awesome patch of flowers they come back to the nest they do a waggle dance this waggle dance tells the other bees exactly where the flowers are and it's not even just like the bees looking at the the waggle Apparently, there's electromagnetic activity that the waggle mm. does that hits the bees' antennas, and they're like, "Oh, I got you, I got oh, you, wow. I'm right there." Yeah, it's wild, and it's That's it, crazy, and they can do it like t three miles away. Like they can do a waggle dance that takes, by the way, like ten minutes. They're waggling for like ten minutes in front of the other bees. They're like, "Oh, Jesus, this place is out there." Good Lord, over the <laughs> railroad tracks? That's a ways. But, like, it's better directions than 90% of humans out there. It's crazy. Bees. Very true. Very um, true. Amazing. <laughs> really got sidetracked. Real quick, one thing, Mike, you've probably seen this recently. The uh, sweet incentives folks have been getting for the COVID vaccine. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, what is it, 100 bucks? Well, a bunch of different ones. I think was ones. the last one I saw. Yeah, there's all kinds of ones out there. Uh, I got a new one from uh, Utah from the Bear River Health Department. They got a promotion going with JBS Hiram Meat Company. Anyone getting the vaccine, five pounds of ground beef. Wait, what? Wow. Yeah. You know how many Big Macs that would be? Oh, <laughs> man. Quarter pound, I think, right? Is it, is it an eighth pound? Either way, you can make a good amount of them. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if Don's got to that level yet that he can bring in his own beef. He's like, "Hey guys," they're like, "We don't know what to do with this. We've never actually made things out of real meat. This is weird." But uh, yeah, five pounds, and if you get the vaccine, you're entered to win meat for the whole year lottery to win mm. free meat for the whole year which is not the right vaccine uh, info for vegans, but for <laughs> meat eaters, pretty, pretty exciting. I'm going to hold out until they get up to sirloin, which I can feel like they're, they're going to do at some point in time, but uh, they're just getting rid of the lower stuff right now. Uh, Mike, we're going to take a break. We're going to hear from our guest, Larkin Poe, and uh, we're going to be right back with Megan and Rebecca right here on the Doc G Show.
show. Because sometimes you need something playing in the background. Every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on 99.5 FM, Spinnaker. This is 95.5 Spinnaker Radio. WSKRLPFM, UNF Jacksonville. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today we are super excited to welcome the immensely talented duo of Larkin, Poe, Megan, and Rebecca to the show. Ladies, how's life treating you? You know, it's pretty good. Can't complain. Thanks for having us on. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, first off, I've got to say, I just told you before we came on the air, but I feel like I've needed to have you on the show for so long. I mean, you guys have so many connections to our former guests. We uh Bones Owens, yes! uh, Jared Dickinson, uh, Band of Skulls, Crown Lands. They all came on our show, and they all mentioned you on the show, and they were like, "These these ladies are fantastic. They're fantastic artists." And I was like, "Man, I need to have these guys on the show." So I'm glad you're finally on our show. As are we. Yeah. yeah finally. Yeah. Yeah. So like I was saying, you guys are super talented, amazing singers, terrific songwriters. And it seems like it seems like to me, it's like when I watched you the first time, I was like, man, music is like coursing through their blood. But it's it's not really. I mean, it courses through all of our blood, but your dad's a pathologist and your mom's an occupational therapist. Not exactly what I was expecting. Like, I was expecting, like, sixth generation <laughs> of musicians. Like, do your parents play any instruments at all? You know, our both of our parents are huge music lovers, and our dad is always spinning just the best music. He, he's always discovering new music, and um, our mom has a beautiful voice, and she, she does play the piano a little bit, but they, they both loved music so much they wanted us to have the opportunity to try it out. So that's why they actually put us in violin lessons when we were, well, Rebecca was three and I was four. So we, we started from a, from a very young age, and I think that was the sort of our, our parents really wanting us to be able to take part in that language. Gotcha. I can I can appreciate music lovers. Uh, music not so much players, music lovers. I would say I'm probably in that group. That would be more me. So, I get it. Yes! Like you said, you, you started with classical music, but I'm guessing that's not what you heard ar- around the house. Like, what were your dad's favorites? Because I've heard he's, he's into rock. What was his favorites to play around the house? Yeah, this is Rebecca. As kids... I have very distinct memories of listening to Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young mm. records, a lot of Queen, Allman Brothers, yes. um, Bonnie Raitt, Allison Krauss and Union Station, Black Sabbath. So he was really all over the map in terms of love and rock music, as well as singer-songwriter, folk, you know, bluegrass Americana, old-style country. Man. And our mom was always, she was more thin in the, the classical records mm. and, uh, you know, Handel's Messiah around Christmas. <laughs> So we, we got a pretty well-balanced, a well-balanced introduction to the world of music. Yeah. Well, I mean, being that your dad is that, that fan of sort of, you know, classic rock Americana, he's, I mean, he's got to be, he's got to be like super proud dad now. I'm get, I mean, like I saw on one of your posts where you were wishing him a happy birthday and Charlie Starr from Blackberry Smoke was wishing him a happy birthday. Like that's, 
come on, that's that's awesome. Is is he like? <laughs> does he brag to people a lot? You know, I don't know brag so much as um. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, who am I kidding? <laughs> yeah, he's very very proud. Both of our parents, I think, are are very pleased for us to have fallen into our vocation very early in life. But yeah. That that definitely didn't take away a lot of their fear and concern. You know, I think oh, sure. for parents, it's got to be really tough to let your, your baby girls get out on the road and tour, you know, 200 dates a year when they're 17, 18 years old. And so they've been very graceful in allowing us, you know, the space to do what it is that we want to do and, um, and believe in our belief. So yeah. we're, we're pretty lucky, and they are. They're very, very proud and supportive. Nice, nice. Well, now, you guys you guys started out, I mean, you started out in classical, and then you went to bluegrass, and I heard you went to, like, you went to a festival, and you just fell in love with it, which, it like, n- n- no offense to bluegrass, I love it. I've got all kinds of bluegrass records, but how did you not jump into, like, rock with your dad being a fan of rock and whatnot, how did how did it go bluegrass first? I think it was the fact that we went to this festival, Moral Fest, and it was uh, improvisation and just the joy of music, like right in our face. Like we were so used to reading music off of a page that suddenly there's these these incredible musicians up on stage, and they're they're kind of winging it, and there's a lot of support and joy and dancing um that was our first sort of experience of that side of music Mm. um so i think that we were just we wanted to be involved we wanted to feel that as well um and so we just immediately quit all our classical lessons (laughs) and became very uncool teenagers (laughs) and picked up banjo and mandolin and um and then that's when i sort of discovered the dobro like saw the dobro being played for the first time and just fell in love with fly guitar Mm. i've got a i've got a credit i wish i could credit uh that genre of music for dobro but leonard skinner curtis lowe was the first time i heard it and said what is what is a dobro what is that what are they talking about oh that is impressive I didn't learn how to play it like you, though. I just stared at it and said, that's cool. And that was pretty much it. That's a fact. So, I did as well. <laughs> I thought, that's cool. <laughs> but then you took it to another level. I wish I would have taken it to that another level. But, you know. So you started performing around, like, 2004. And, like, you like didn't mean to, but you jumped in to serious performing. Like, it wasn't looking out from the beginning, like, hey, we're going we're gonna to do this all the way. But you did. You guys sort of jumped into it, and you've basically been gigging, touring, playing in some shape, form, or fashion for like the last 15 years before the pandemic hit. I got to imagine it put you in a weird space not being able to play live. Like, I mean, you literally had been playing all that time, and now you can't. Was that a, a huge hit to your mental space? Absolutely. It was incredibly jarring on on a lot of levels. Yeah, because as I'm sure you, you know, you would understand with the amount of conversations that you've had and and maybe you've toured, I don't know, but you definitely build your life around being a touring musician. It's not it's not like a nine to five. Yeah, obviously, you know, you you definitely create a lot of space in your life to accommodate a very intrusive and wonderful but intrusive career and you know you get used to being gone you're, yeah. you're used to that person you're used to a really fast-paced lifestyle 
you're used to, to being somewhere different every couple of days and having to go to the airport or, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. travel somewhere, some which way. And, and I think it, it was a lot to process. And in the year that we kind of stayed off the road, um, I think we learned a lot. I think we had, had space to kind of reflect on the last 15 years and, you know, see the habits we picked up, some of them good, <laughs> some of them bad, and, and come to terms with a lot of stuff. Nice. I certainly mark it as an unexpected gift, you nice. know, in the same way that randomly we picked up bluegrass, you know, yeah. life kind of throws you curveballs and randomly you get time to to kind of reground yourself and center yourself in some ways. Yeah. But we're, we're definitely the kind of people that are looking forward, like, what's next? What's next? Yeah. So we kind of almost immediately, like, how, okay, what are we going to do with our time instead? And um, picked up live streaming a lot. Yeah. Released yeah. more cover videos, like, creating content. Like, we we kept ourselves very busy, which I think kept, kept us sane as well. But For there sure. was a lot of, like, feeling of being unmoored and suddenly you have to there's no set schedule you just have to decide what you're going to do and that can be a little bit disturbing at moments <laughs> yeah yeah well i mean it looks like it from you know from the outside perspective you guys didn't slow down i mean it looks like you i mean in a way you sped up in the pandemic you like you said you took on all these other things that you nor weren't normally doing when you were doing all the live performances uh but Somewhere during the pandemic, have you had time to to take a look back at what you've done over the past 17 years and just been like, holy shit, we've done a lot. Because, like, getting ready for this interview, I said, holy shit, we've done a lot. Like, there's just uh, so much stuff that you've done. Did you, I mean, it seems like a time where you could sit back and go, whoa, that was a lot of stuff we've done over the yeah. past 17 years. Yes, definitely. Actually, like a little bit overwhelming to look back and be like, "Wow, yeah, how did we do? How did we do that?" Yeah. But I, I think for me, the biggest, the biggest emotional milestone was um, hitting the ten year anniversary of Larkin Poe because that was right at the beginning of twenty twenty. Yeah. And I think to have reached ten years as as Larkin Poe felt felt uh, simultaneously really joyful and also, you know, very poignant. You you think about, you know, if your band was a child, it would be starting to have its own opinions in life and its yeah. own hobbies, you know. Double digits. into pre-teendom and, mm. you know, yeah. So yeah. It, it, it's very poignant. I think that we feel very fortunate every day. And, and also, you know, that whole thing of, like, not resting on your laurel because it's kind of like the music industry is, is such a competitive world. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of like, what have you done for me lately? Yeah. <laughs> and I think that attitude can be sometimes a little destructive because, you know, with every new record that you release, you kind of have to forget what it is you've done previous and yeah. be willing to tap into something new. I think that's the responsibility as an artist. And and at times, that can be a lot to carry. But but also, there is there's no other burden I would rather carry than that. And and to be able to look back and see this, you know, this patchwork quilt of experience of yeah. everywhere that we've been and songs that we've written and shows we've played, it's it's really awesome. Definitely keeps you warm at night. For sure. Well, it, it, taking it back to that start of Larkin Poe about a decade ago, like you, you guys were playing with your older sister before Larkin Poe and that's when she, she stepped out of performing and like, I can't really tell, but has she ever missed it 
Does she like call you guys up and is like, man, is Larkin Poe looking for a third member? You guys, is that yeah. like, does, or is she good with being no. out of out of music? She's great. Yeah, she's great. Because, uh, you know, touring and touring, I'm just going to leave it at touring. Touring is not for everyone. <laughs> and it wasn't for her. And I, I have a lot of um, respect for our eldest sister and being able to, to, uh, to, I think a lot of people are like, oh, like, uh, if you stop something that you love, it's kind of like you're, it's a failure or a defeat or something. And, and I completely disagree. I think it's important to judge the sunk cost, you know, and figure out what, what you actually enjoy doing with your life. Cause you only get one go around. And so yeah, to depend on, you know, as, as little as you can, the outside expectations of what you should be doing with your life or what's more valuable. She was, she was out of the picture and she is happy for it. And we support her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, it seems like that was the thing is it surprised me. Cause you know, most people leaving something like that, it's, it's sort of like wishy-washy. It's like, ah, yeah, I'm, I'm tired of it. I don't want, yeah, I sort of want to go back, but doesn't seem like that was was her at all. So you know, if that's what you wanted to do, that's fantastic. Yeah. After, after you guys uh, stopped playing with your sister and and form Lark and Poe, it, it didn't really take long at all. Like I mean, that was literally like a, a, a seemed like a day that you were like, okay, and now Lark and Poe, new thing. Like was <laughs> was it a was it a conscious effort when you? switch to Lark and Poe to also switch sounds? Or was that like a gradual thing as you went on that it was more like, okay, more blues, more rock, more, you know, uh, further and further away from bluegrass? Yeah, it was gradual. Yeah, I think it was gradual. I think we had an inkling at the beginning that we that we wanted to incorporate more of the, the classic rock side of us, the, the part of us that really loves the Almond Brothers. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that we would have had an inkling in the beginning, but maybe it isn't one hundred percent clear how you're going to do it at first. Yeah. Um. But we did hit the ground running, and I think those you know those first few years definitely taught us a lot. And uh, but I think it wasn't really until we kind of made the decision one to start self-producing our albums, mm. and two to just really embrace our love of roots music, like loving the blues and yeah. loving folk music and loving classic country, like our sort of our decision, like this is us. Um, we love, we love the music that's, that's come out of these Southern States and we really want to just embrace that about ourselves. And we're going to self produce our music to make sure that that's coming through. Yeah. I think it wasn't until then that we really have found our voice and our audience has like really latched onto what it is that, that we're about and weirdly that wasn't until 2016 2017 yeah so many years down the line yeah yeah now well, i mean you you guys have had a fairly independent streak i mean not uh you know the the production side of it didn't start until then but sort of the the label side of it you guys have been independent basically the whole time i mean when you guys started with your sister you had offers from record labels and you're like me pass like i i love it that you guys want to stay sort of that independent streak but do you, do you still get offers from record labels or have they sort of understood now that like okay those guys are sort of on their own 
Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question. You know, I think I think our anti-establishment vibe has um, been heard loud and clear through the industry. Nice. Um, so we occasionally have yeah. people sort of sniff around to see, and but, we always say, "Oh, we love to be independent." Yeah, <laughs> and it is. I think it's you know it's powerful to be able to 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 have control of your creative destiny. That's that's the main thing that we have cherished i think over the years is yeah just the ability to make what it is that we want and to not to have to report to anybody because i think everyone kind of knows their inner workings and you know as performers as um female performers at that there is this element of of every human that that wants to to people please you know you yeah. want to make people happy you want to say you want to be a yes man i think mm-hmm. a lot of us do and so i think recognizing that in ourselves as a potential weakness and i'm putting air quotes around that um you know we decided we were just gonna like cold turkey like hey we're not gonna put ourselves in a situation where we can compromise ourselves creatively like let's do it let's just keep it in house man and it's been great for us we've loved it now i i heard i i think i heard in an in an older interview you actually sort of uh pointing to your parents sort of saying that initially saying you want to own your own stuff. You want to control what you write, what you do. Did they? Did they have a part in that? Because if they did, I mean, that's that's a lot of foresight for people that aren't in the music industry. Yeah, I mean, we're lucky to have yeah really smart folks, and um, certainly I think that they they were trying to look out for our best interest, and while also not having any interest in being managerially attached to us. I think yeah. People often wonder if our folks are like, you know, stage parents or something. And, and if anything, our, our parents were uh, like very reluctantly supportive in the beginning. Because <laughs> the last thing they wanted to do, particularly as two folks in the medical field, was yeah. to see their kids, you know, run off into the wilderness of the entertainment industry. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, they've had some great advice and they definitely, you know, lobby for us to maintain control and to do to do what it is that we want to do. And and also, you know, our folks homeschooled us, too. So I think our, our parents are always very protective of our individualistic identity. And I think that they were very resistant to any, you know, label relationship or management relationship in which we were giving any advice about, you know, commercialize or dress this way. Yeah. Or, you anyone know, change, change, change. Anyone that might sway us, especially as young people, I think that they wanted us to to know ourselves yeah. and and hopefully steer by your own stars and not be uh, not be manipulated mm-hmm. yeah for sure well i mean another one of those voices when you guys first started was was elvis costello you guys sort of got uh, you know uh noticed by him very early when you guys before you were lark and poe and he seems to play a huge role in the sort of where you guys are now what, what was like his what was his biggest role? What did you guys learn from him? You know, what was the biggest life lesson there from Elvis? Ah, oh, man, there's so many. We're we're incredibly fortunate to have crossed paths with Elvis. Yet another random curveball, thank you, universe, you know, to <laughs> made his acquaintance and count him as one of our greatest mentors over yeah. the years. Somebody who really invested a lot of time and conversation and creative energy and trust into us as young artists and um, I think, I think, uh, tenacity, he was definitely always a, he's like a slow burn artist, mm. you know, he's not a, I would consider him to be like a lifer, somebody yeah. who is like in it 
to win it until your dying breath. And um, that 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 type of uh, perspective really had powerful consequences for us. And, and looking at the trajectory of our, you know, relationship and wanting to also be lifers, you know, we, we want to make records that will hopefully take people on a journey, not just now, you know, yeah. whenever we're in our 60s and 70s. And I think a lot of that, um, that lifer mentality also revolves around flexibility creatively, like for sure being willing to make records that are different. Like, Hey, I want to try making a country record. I want to make a punk record. I want to make a new grass record. I want to make a blues record. And all of these things are part of the continuum creatively of who you are yeah. as an artist. And so I think he definitely instilled a lot of that energy of, Hey man, you don't have to be in the box. You can build the box. You can deconstruct the box. You can really build the box to be a circle if you want. Like, have at it. It's it's your box. <laughs> nice. Now, you, well, I mean, being, being able to create that box, like, it seems like one of those things that you guys do to sort of flex that creative muscle, and it's made you really you know popular on your youtube and on instagram is it, it took a long time but you got to one of my favorites on your last go round. You, you did sam cook which made me extremely extremely happy because he is by far my favorite <laughs> singer uh now obviously when you guys cover a song it usually is going to need to be arranged differently you're gonna have to you know add the lap steel because it's usually not in the original you've you've got harmonies that may not be in the original uh, some of your covers are more tweaked than others. How how do you approach it? Like, how do you, you know, decide how you're going to play that? It's a good question and, and one that has sort of developed over many years because we, we have been doing these cover videos for, what, five years now? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now when we, <laughs> when we sit down with a song that we love, it, it it really does happen very very effortlessly it kind of appears on its own but it wasn't always like that i mean in the beginning we sat down we we struggled with songs and i think the value that we found from performing other people's so songs is finding our own voice which does seem like a a very roundabout way to find your own voice by covering <laughs> other people's songs but we did want to take take these songs and make them sound like us like yeah like it's something that we could have done um and we did struggle with that at first but slowly over time working the two of us it's it's really found its way to a place now where it is very effortless and so fun that yeah. it just sort of magically appears which is it's really fun now yeah <laughs> it wasn't so fun in the beginning but <laughs> well i i love the the lap steel solo on bring it home it's such a good way to cover Sam's voice because it's so smooth. His voice is, you know, the silkiest. So, like, it works so well so in the cover that, like, you know, you you obviously wouldn't think of it in the original, but it's it adds, it adds, like you said, it makes it your own, and it sounds great. Sounds great. Now, you. you guys have got to share the stage with, again, it's one of those things. You look back. Just all kinds of crazy artists. I mean, Elvis Costello, Don Henley, Jackson Brown, Billy Gibbons, Steven Tyler, Eric Church, Keith Urban. Like, there's just this insane list of artists. By by this point, do you do you still get nervous when you play with somebody like that, or is it routine by this point? <laughs> like when you go on the stage with somebody like that? Oh man, oh man, I I get massively nervous. 
Yeah, we actually, we just did this, um, this would have been a couple of months ago, and speaking of ZZ Top and Billy Gibbons, rest in peace, Dusty, yeah, but... Yeah, for sure, for sure. There was this event that um, that Billy Gibbons, you know, hosted at um, at the Opry, at the Opry Center here in Nashville, and dude, I was like ready to like hurl up my gut, I was so nervous <laughs> to get up on stage, and it's, and it's funny to say that, because... You know, I think it really means that you care and that you're engaged. And you never want your nerves to be debilitating. Yeah. Um, but sometimes mine are borderline. Sometimes mine can get in my way of being able to to go up there and give it my all. Like, you don't want to be yeah. hurling up your guts before you have to go up and do a thing. But, but also, it's part of the process. You know, we really, really care. And we really take opportunities seriously. And very serious-minded individuals. We like, are. We're pretty serious. We've never been one to party on the road, or, like, you know, get messed up before playing. Like, we're always really there for the music and to yeah. create something meaningful. So that manifests in, yes, getting very nervous before performing. Man, man, I, I heard you got, I heard you got a little bit nervous for that, like, the first real big li- live stream that you did there. Yeah. Like, that which oh which i you know i can totally i was <laughs> i was telling one of our our guests the other uh, the other week like after this whole pandemic deal i went in to just a meeting a meeting with my staff and like <laughs> it was it was just like five people but like in my head i was having this whole inner monologue like what are you doing? Are you leaning against the table? That looks weird. Stop it. Lean back in the chair. Oh, now they're looking at you doing that. <laughs> Why are you breathing so heavy? Stop this. Like, it's so weird how these things in the pandemic took us out of our normal element and make you so feel so bizarre. Like, was that how you were feeling on that live stream? Yeah. You know, I think expectation, um, expectation can really get in the way of you know, being present in the moment and just living your life. Because I mean, I think potentially we had all kind of assumed that this live stream was going to feel like a normal show because we it was our very first live stream at the beginning of lockdown. And, yeah, you know, everyone was tested, COVID tested. We like were really careful. It was like five people in this venue. We loaded into the venue and we were like all ready to rock and party and have a great time and do the thing that we were all really used to doing, which was play to a crowd. Yeah. But then I think the uh, the reality of oh wait and the venue is empty and you can hear a <laughs> pin drop and you have to look into this camera yeah and th- yeah there was just a lot of um you know new things that we had to learn in a fast period of time and i i absolutely had a cataclysmic meltdown inside and you know luckily i'm professional so i, I didn't you know curl on the <laughs> no thing, one but, knew you know, we carried on and I know, but we, no one, I don't think that you could tell, you know, which is fun. Now we're too comfortable in front of the camera. We're like, if everything is hanging out, we're like, maybe we should be a little <laughs> yeah. bit more nervous. Now <laughs> this. One year later, you know, how, oh, how the streaming have, has changed. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I, wa- I wanted to ask about one of the other, one other sort of performance with, with the, you know, those, those big timers there. Uh, you guys toured with Keith Urban and... I, I was looking on YouTube at different videos, and there's so many videos of where the blacktop ends, uh, and Megan doing dueling solos there with Keith, which is effing bananas. Like, even Keith thinks so. In every video, he's looking around like, can you, can you believe how good she is? What What is going on here? What is this? Like, how did that come about? 
did that did that start out as like an impromptu thing at first, or did he come up to you and like, hey, let's trade some licks tonight. Let's do that. Like, how did that start? You know, he he had decided that he wanted to have us up on the show, and in sort of going through some of his material, he he picked Blacktop and um, and then we had like we had a few rehearsals where we were able to kind of play the song together and have like a basic structure. And the rest of his set is very, very, very structured. Yeah. And I think that having like sort of a part on on the show where it was a little bit more free flowing, like not so locked in place, yeah. I think was really freeing for him and was kind of the reason for having us there because it's like, you know, towards the end of the set and it just sort of injects this sort of frantic improvisation and just really, really fun moment in the set. Um, That was just a blast. And, and he's such an incredible performer too, that it was such a, it was a learning experience for us to watching somebody who is so good at performing to the back row. You know, he's like larger than life. And, you know, the first first show, we're very, very small because we're used to playing in clubs. Yeah. By the end of the show, you know, we're just as wild and crazy as he is. So we learned a lot and we're able to, to carry it, carry that sort of knowledge onto the bigger bigger stages that we started playing after that. Yeah, that had it had to be crazy to look back at or look back at those videos during the pandemic and be like, what? That's where we were a, a year ago? That's How crazy. many people? Yeah, exactly. How many arenas? Exactly. Well, so the the newest album you guys have coming out is is a live performance uh, with the New Deco Ensemble. Uh, they're, a, they're a Miami orchestra that, that does it basically all from, from Mozart to Outkast. It's sort of like what you guys grew up on pretty much. Uh, how did you end up doing a live performance with them? And making this album, how did that come about? Yeah, that was that was based off of um, COVID. Truly, I think New Deco is an incredible ensemble, and they definitely seek out collaborations with artists that are a little left of center. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of world music or roots music, and so we were an artist that had been on their radar for a while. And so, in looking to do a live streaming concert, they reached out to us, um, nice. saying that we have a really active online fan base and. And so we we got together with the intention of just having it be a, a live stream, a, a performance, a moment, you know, an isolated moment. And and then the performance went so stunningly, and the arrangements were beautiful, and our songs found this new life in the context of this ensemble with you know strings and horns and percussion and and it was magical. And so we listened back to the recordings, just the board tapes from the the performance. And we're and we're really excited about sharing it in a grander scale. Yeah. So we de- we decided to do our first ever live record and um, push and tweak and prod and <laughs> you know get this music out there and here we are. Nice. I guess it's about seven eight months down the line from the performance that we're finally getting the music out. Nice. Well, go- going from a two piece sister group that uh, I- I'm guessing is almost telepathic at this point. How how was it playing with 30 musicians and, and, and all looking at a conductor. That had to be weird. It, you know, based on having grown up playing classical music, we knew what to expect. Like, we, we definitely performed as teenagers in ensembles and orchestras yeah. and symphonies. So we were we were ready for it, but it didn't change the fact that it was still very, very challenging. I mean, particularly 
considering you want to lead because oh. you're the leader of the band. Yeah. I think I'm joking when I say this, but there was a lot of tension in between conductor and Rebecca. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, get out of here. Get out of here. No, actually, so, like, you know, it is funny that you say that, Megan, but um, definitely, like, coming up in rock music in the last, you know, few years particularly and yeah. the punk attitude of like hey man don't you tell me what to do <laughs> i definitely felt that at play you know and wanting to like have a little revolution uprising with all the string players and the percussionists like, <laughs> we're gonna come overthrow on follow it. me we're gonna overthrow the conductor but mm. no i mean it was definitely a unique experience and and it, and it is it is something that you know you have to really get used to but for uh, sure for the evening, it was beautiful, and the music came out so great that it yeah. was it was worth a little bits of discomfort, you know, to, to have such a special moment be captured. Definitely, definitely the uh, the the parts that I have heard so far, are fantastic. Paint the roses out uh, September seventeenth, so make sure you pre order it. Uh, side note on the new deco ensemble. I don't know if anybody else has done this, but I went on Instagram and I saw their Instagram handle, and I was like. Who's the new company ensemble? Right? And then it's, it's all <laughs> smashed together. And I was like, come on, guys, maybe yeah. some underscores or something. Just, I'm just confused. Right? Con right? <laughs> Agreed. Well, Very salacious. Uh, <laughs> well, a uh, couple of real quick non music questions before we wrap this thing up. So, first, I ask almost every guest this that we have on the show, but you guys live in Nashville. So if I'm coming to Nashville and I say, guys, I've got one night in Nashville, where should I eat? Where are you going to tell me? Now, ju just for reference, the last two Nashville guests we've had on the show uh, told me Lachlan Table and DeSano's Pizza. Those were the last two, but I've got a list of like 40. So those were the last two. Wow. You know, if I were to suggest, and I'm sure we're going to probably say different things, um... I, you know, if you're looking for a really highbrow experience mm -hmm. for uh, for my husband's birthday a couple of years ago, we went to Husk. Mm. And Husk is um, run by a South Carolinian dude who has a reverence for Southern cuisine. Yes. And like, I mean, I'm talking like the best cornbread and catfish and, you know, but what it's, it's, it's splurge. It's great. It's a splurge. Say husk and let's let's offer another an entry level, shall we, Megan? Well, Tommy Putnam yeah. said oh uh, said husk. Tommy Putnam from uh, Moon Taxi. He go. told us to us. So yes, I will already agree. I haven't done it yet. I'm sorry, Tommy. I haven't gone. But when I do, I'll agree with both of you. I'm sure. Now entry level. What do we have? You know, there's this really tiny sushi place called Deer Sushi, and it's in the middle of Donaldson and the best rolls I think mm. in town. And I've, I've really enjoyed eating there. Mm. I do love rolls. Rolls are fantastic. So any place that's got a good roll, let's be honest. Now that one is new. And of course I always love it when I get a new one. So yes, nice. Okay. I've got my two food choices, which listeners know on this show, that's almost as important as music on this, this show. <laughs> It gets it's right it's under true. right underneath. Um, now, one last thing: you guys seem to, outside of music, you really seem to be avid hikers. I uh, hear you mention hiking a lot. What what's the best place you've ever hiked? Smoky Mountain. Oh, the Smoky Mountains. Nice. Great National. Yeah, the Great National Smoky Park. 
What am I saying? How am how am I getting that twisted up in my mouth? The craziest thing. <laughs> Smoky um, Mountain National there Park. There we go. Smoky Mountain National Park. There it but is. Yeah, but definitely, like, getting to uh, to Mount LeConte. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's just one of those hikes I think you never regret getting up in the Smokies and walking around. And It's the oldest mountain range in the world, and it feels like it just has an energy to it, I think. And we've seen some beautiful places in the world. You know, we've traveled all over the U.S. to, the, to all of our national parks. Yeah overseas have seen some amazing fjords in norway and i there's just nothing like the smoky mountains for sure for sure i'm a little i'm a little up higher i grew up in the blue ridge mountains in virginia but uh very very similar if you ever get a chance i don't know if you've already done it or not but if you're in southwest virginia you go by the cascades or mountain lake in jefferson national forest fantastic too you won't regret those if you give them a shot Mm -hmm. okay we'll we'll do that there it is there it is well uh megan rebecca we are up against a break but i want to thank you guys for for coming on the show i really appreciate it oh thanks for having us for sure listeners follow everything larkin poe at larkinpo.com follow them on instagram at larkinpo or stream them on any streaming services right now let's take a listen to the newest single with new deco ensemble this is every bird that flies right here on the doc g show Is the only one alive You wonder if it's worth it Been burned to And we are back here on the Doc G show. Larkin Poe. There you go. Yeah. Man, those ladies. So much. I just feel like I need to do more things in my life after talking to them. <laughs> more things in my life need to be done. I mean, that's what happens when you've been touring the world as musicians since you were, what, 11 and 13 or 12 and 14, something like that. It's crazy. Crazy. Playing a 25,000-person stadium with with Keith Urban staring down that dude. That's got to be wild, man. That's... Yeah. I mean, you got a little bit imagine. of experience like that. I mean, you know, opening for Joe Kim had to be a little bit like that. I mean, that's a little bit. I mean, he wasn't trading jokes with you. You weren't, like, no. throwing jokes back and forth. But yeah. still... You got that giant audience. That's got to be somewhat uh, nerve-wracking. I mean, how nerve-wracking was that? It was pretty wild. I think uh, I did the USF arena with him mm -hmm. as well. And, yeah. Um, wow, yeah, it's just, uh, but, you know, you know your stuff, so you're good there. And yeah. I don't know. I did some push-ups before the thing. I was fine. <laughs> I don't know. It felt great. If it's feel, it's actually easier to do huge arenas and theaters than, the super than it small is to one. do. Yeah, because there you're like, if you bomb, yeah, it's you're like, staring at those people just, like I let you oh, down. <laughs> I'm sorry. Exactly. 
Yeah, I could, I could see that. I could see that. All the faces blur together in the giant arena. And you're yeah. like, you are no one. You are not a single yeah. person. I am fine with this. Yeah, yeah. That's very weird. Feel a little detached. I could see that. Like, I, I mean, I guess it's just because I'm not a great musician. So, like, you know, I try to play all kinds of music, but I'm just not anywhere in anywhere close to what they would do. And I just, like, imagine trying to go up there and play guitar beside Keith Urban. And I'm just like, <laughs> I I don't know what I got, Keith. I'm sorry, man. I'm trying. I'm like... Just insane. How about Wonderwall? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, I could rock that, no doubt. As long as we got the capo, let's rock. Like, Sweet. I just, I mean, it's just insane how much they just, they just. But I was happy to hear they, they said, you know, Rebecca said she got nervous. She got, she got mad yeah. nervous. And I was yeah. like, you know, she actually got nervous. I, I found that story that I asked her about getting nervous, um, uh, for her live stream. Which I was like, that's crazy. She got so they, the first time they did a live stream. She just like had a complete like nervous breakdown in her head, which I was like, wow, that's, that's crazy that you would think that she's. I mean, she's played she's played stadiums before, and then all of a yeah. sudden she's going on just in front of a camera. It's like who cares? Who cares if I don't even have to see these know. people that I'm playing? It's wild how it works, you know? Yeah, but Some they recommended husk. Husk, Southern mm. ingredients, Southern ingredients. It's your real uh, Southern cuisine there. I mean, they've got, they've got uh, Alabama oysters. You can get for a appetizer. You can get, you can get Bear Creek beef tartare. Uh, mm. Yeah, yeah. Tennessee field pea salad. Huh? Huh? How about a little pea, a little pea salad, or? Uh, <laughs> Uh, let's see. You can also you can get the uh, uh, just a, a a plate of southern vegetables. Good lord, the plate of southern vegetables is twenty eight dollars. I'm gonna have to say husk. Twenty eight dollars for a plate of southern vegetables is a little too much. I, I can't stand for that. That's a little bit too much. But I will get at least three orders of your buttermilk cheddar biscuits because they're only seven dollars. So that's fine. Mm. Let's go ahead and overdo it on those. Um, <laughs> Anyways, thanks to Lark and Poe. Make sure you get their new live album coming out there in September. It's going to be fantastic with the uh, new Deco Ensemble out of Miami. A crazy new experience there. Just wild, doing the whole symphony thing. Uh, Mike, it's time. I, I don't know if you noticed. We only have two uh, birthday suits today so this would be the second birthday suit we skipped okay. the we skipped the actual second um so that's mainly because i was lazy that's the main reason for that it's all good i could have came up that with happens. another one but we've got it we've got two this one right. i'm pretty sure you can come out with a hundred percent on on today i'm pretty confident okay. on this one i think i don't know we'll see we'll see uh, we'll see born on august 11th 1988 in kent oh and i didn't even notice both Australians. It's a hundred percent birthday suit Australia today. There we go. So, uh, born in born in Canberra, Australia. His father is a Torres Strait Islander, and his mother is an Aboriginal Australian. Our birthday suit wearer took up basketball at a young age, of four, just loving the sport. Growing up, he became the ball uh, ball boy for the Canberra Cannons in the NBL of Australia. 
He made the junior national team in 2006, and as a result, his performance uh, got him selected for the Nike Hoop Summit as a part of the World Junior Select Team. Also in 2006, he decided to go to college at St. Mary's in California. His first season, he averaged 14.8 points, 2.1 rebounds, 3.5 assists, and 1.8 steals a game. As a sophomore, his numbers went up to 18.4 points, 3.9 assists, 2.4 rebounds, 2.2 assists. After his sophomore year, he declared for the NBA draft. He was selected 55th overall by the Portland Trailblazers. In 2012... He signed with the San Antonio Spurs, and it didn't take long to make an impact in only a couple of games. And just just a couple of games after he signed, he scored 34 points and 12 assists against the Golden State Warriors, which was the most an Australian had ever scored in an NBA game. He helped the Spurs win a championship in 2014 and still playing with them now. He just won a bronze uh, medal for the Australian Olympic team in Japan. Name that birthday suit wearer. Wow, this is definitely not Russell Crowe. Um, <laughs> uh, I was going with Russell Crowe for so long, and then you started throwing out the basketball stats. I will I, give you a hint. Okay. P.M. are his initials. P.M. Think Irish Patty, for Patty Mills. Ba- yeah, there you go. Yes. Patty Mills. Patty Mills is correct. <laughs> yes. Patty Mills, man, an Australian wonder there. Just yeah, I didn't know he's from Australia. Awesome. I mean, like Good for him. technically, you could say I guess the best Australian player ever. Wow, um, yeah, you know, uh, at least close to it. That's for sure. But uh, he, yeah, he just won a uh, bronze medal. They beat Slovenia. Take that, Luka Doncic. He took mm. you out there. Yeah, took him out, you know. Luca had been undefeated, and then he goes and loses to France, and then they lose to, uh, lose to Australia, get knocked out of the uh, medal placing. There. Oh, wow. so, yeah, Slovenia could have got a, got a medal instead. Nope, nope. It was one, two, three, U.S., France, uh, and uh, Australia. I don't know if you saw the U.S. game. It's pretty ugly. I mean, they won really? gold, but it was, uh, it was rough. If they it wouldn't have had, blow, it wasn't a blowout. Not anywhere close. If they wouldn't have wow. had KD, they wouldn't have won that game. No way. KD carried them in that game for wow. sure. Uh, it's uh, you, the, the 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 world is catching up, man. We got yeah, they are. Got to bring our A game. Yeah, I think the biggest thing what's got to happen is you got to have more practices together. You got to get mm-hmm. more cohesion. Because yeah. that's the whole thing. That's the whole reason the other teams are good. That's the reason Australian team. Because they've had the same guys on the national team for the last 15 years, essentially. And so mm. and every time they do something national basketball-wise, it's those guys. So they yeah. know, like, oh, they know exactly, like, oh, Patty's going to do this. Oh, they're going to do this. They're going to do that. They know exactly everybody's moves. But our guys, it's all like we just randomly pick good people from the NBA and throw them together, and you can't have cohesiveness yeah, good, like that. the good guys don't want to play, though. The good guy, like LeBron, Curry, you know, the- these guys don't want to play uh, in the Well, you know, they've the already Olympics. got two medals, you know? Yeah. It's, after you get a couple, it's somebody else's turn, you know? And they got, I mean, they definitely, like, that's the thing, is the, the, the talent, 
is way better than any other team out there. It's just the cohesion. That's the thing. Yeah. These people, they, they're not used to playing against each other. I mean, like, you look at France. They, they, they've got, uh, what's his name? Uh, big old fella uh, from, from, um, from Utah, uh, hmm. Rudy. Uh, and yeah. that's it. That's it. That's their only, like, NBA player. But yet they got a silver medal because of the cohesion. That's the thing. Yeah. I got really yeah. sidetracked. That has nothing to do with Patty Mills, except oh. that he was in the Olympics, too. Sorry. Happy birthday, Patty. Turning, uh, let's see, 33 for Patty. Train to nice. Trace. Good age. Yeah. Yeah. Happy birthday, Patty. Good, good, good for you, man. Keep playing in the NBA. Hopefully, the Spurs aren't as bad as they were. Um, <laughs> you know, they haven't been doing good these last two years. It's been rough for, for yeah. Pop and for Pat. So hopefully Pot and Pot and Pat, <laughs> Pat and Pop get back on their run. Anyways, uh, Mike, we've got some shows coming up. I'm still working out. Thanks for next week. That's right. It's it's a little bit it's a little bit up in the air. So I can't give us the guest right now. I don't have the guest exactly. But don't worry, listeners. It's gonna be a banger. Regardless, could be Don Gorski. Could be Don it Gorski. Could, I mean, ooh, we haven't Don, asked don't, yet. Don't get me nervous, man. Talk about nervous. I will be like Larkin Poe. I will be sweating bullets when I interview Don. Oh, my gosh. That would be amazing. Anyways, for now, we are going to have to wrap it up because uh, Mike needs to go get his code red and his uh, Big Mac. It's very important. <laughs> He's got to make sure to accomplish all of his day's task, and that is the energy yes. that will give it to him. Mm -hmm. So... So, until next week, I've been your host, Doc G. With me, as usual, the furnace, Mike Charette. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is for great. For sure. For sure. And until next week, zip it up and zip it out. Zip it a doo -dah. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. <laughs>